0: What is it, Troy?
1: I didn't love our interaction this morning when you yelled at me for adding to the show notes. I don't think that's how friends talk to one another.
0: No, it's just radical candor. I'm all for preparation, but a lot of times preparation, it's kind of like accountability. People love it for others, not for themselves.
2: Are you saying Troy is not prepared? I'm not
0: preparing for Troy. That's what I'm saying.
1: Okay. Yeah, but that's part of your golden child bullshit complex.
0: <laughs> for I don't care.
1: Also, Brian, I heard a criticism of you this week about oh, the good. podcast. It was a senior person from a media company saying, I'm tired of Brian's like soft ad pitch, Curb Cafe, like tone it down. Oh, really? So the native ad stuff is kind of facing some resistance.
0: He can take out a PVA Plus subscription, I guess. I assume this is a dude, a woman would be more sensible. (laughs) Wow. Look, making ads work in podcasts is really hard. Don't you guys like fast forward through them when they're at the start?
2: Yeah, 100%. Although I have probably bought more stuff from podcasts than any other type of advertising.
0: Yeah, I have I shouldn't say that. I'm trying to sell
2: podcast ads. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck are you doing? Really? I bought Bombus. I bought a Quip toothbrush and some Blue Chews. No, I'm joking about that one. That's the only ad I see on Twitter right now. So. Is that for tummy health? Is that what that is? Isn't that some Viagra type thing?
1: Who was it's, advertising it's the like Scott Galloway? It's like
2: ad on Twitter.
1: It's funny I don't I don't get them in my feed.
2: No, they know you don't need it.
0: I only get Temu ads. Temu is amazing. They're
2: everywhere. It's just like the world's like most efficient landfill generation that we've ever seen.
0: It's a pure interface company.
1: The logo looks terrible, Alex in the corner.
0: Oh my god. Let's just start there. <laughs> People vs. Algorithms is a show about patterns in technology, media, and culture. I'm Brian Marcy, founder of The Rebooting. And each week I'm joined by Troy Young, longtime media executive and investor, as well as the author of the People vs. Algorithms newsletter and Alex Schleifer, CEO of Universal Entities, and diehard Elon Musk fanboy. This week, we address a variety of topics, including the prospects for Elon Musk turning Twitter into a super app, as well as the wisdom of moving away from the Twitter brand. The word iconic is thrown around quite a bit these days, but I think it's safe to say that Twitter is an iconic brand, even if it's never measured up to that cultural cachet with its business results. We also dig into Barbieheimer and whether this is a harbinger of Hollywood's future or about a nostalgia for the days when blockbusters rolled summer weekends. After all, Hollywood is in the midst of a painful shift in distribution, which also means a shift in economic realities. Aggregation choke points are something that all media companies need to deal with, whether they like it or not. It's one reason why I see more people leaning into in-person activations or events. These are a way to build community, sure, but they're also a way to get out of the awful economics of publishing in an algorithmic world ruled by platforms. Sure, events don't scale, but as he keep saying, the future of media is smaller, and the doldrums of the ad market might not be cyclical, but they might actually be structural. And digital advertising, after all, has matured. And new data use regulations and also the vast expansion of competition, which is about every company that can garner attention standing up an ad network, just creates more problems for publishers or anyone selling advertising. Just this week, after all, Intuit, of all places, threw its hat in the ring as an ad seller. Nobody ever said publishing was an easy business. Hope you enjoyed this episode and please do send in your feedback. I'm Brian at TheRebooting.com and leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to this podcast. All right, so over the weekend, in addition to Barbie and Oppenheimer happening, Elon Musk, he had a busy weekend. He decided to flip the switch on turning Twitter into X, his long dream of having a super app that does everything from payments to... I don't know. Let's hear from Twitter's supposed CEO, Linda Yaccarino, and this is how she described the vision. X is the future state of unlimited interactivity, centered in audio, video, messaging, payments-slash-banking, creating a global marketplace for ideas, goods, services, and opportunities- Powered by AI, X will connect us all in the ways we're just beginning to imagine. I don't know who the we there, it sounds like maybe perhaps Lyndon, the other people outside of Elon Musk at Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. Troy, what's going on here?
1: Well, I, I guess her guy, her PR guy wrote that, or did, who wrote that, do you think? She brought her PR She
0: brought guy over her own NBC. communications guy, and I don't understand yeah. a word of it. I The thing is, it's like, that kind of stuff in just the sort of media trade world is just like, eh, whatever. But now that it's in the consumer world, she got roasted for that stuff.
1: Even just starting like centered on five things yeah. that are all yeah. very different, you're not centering on that.
0: I would have so added retail it would, media personally. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, it's wild. On some level, maybe it's, dare I say, refreshing. We've all touched big corporate rebranding projects that are done with a steady hand and with thoughtfulness and we would never even contemplate throwing out something that had become a global verb and is recognized the world around. But then on the other hand, you think, oh my God, Like this guy is like a one-man wrecking crew. And he just kind of dispenses with much of what we sort of perceive to be strategic and pragmatic kind of corporate communications behavior. And he's like, well, I'm changing the brand of the company and it's going to be something new. And on the other hand, I was thinking Twitter while it is recognized and maybe equally loved and hated, is so defined by a format and its history that maybe walking away from it's a good idea. If this gives them a chance to kind of reframe and move down a different path now, then what remains is a defining feature that sets it on a path away from just being kind of 280 character communication missives from people around the world. So is there going to be a payments component? I think when you think of an everything app, payments is probably the first thing how they get there and and compete with people like Venmo or banks or whoever is leading in the payment space in Western markets is a big open question. So I find it kind of courageous and badass and on the other hand, kind of crazy, I guess.
0: We'll get to the branding part of it, but just from the idea of a super app. This is Max Chafkin wrote, I guess, a book about Musk back there, or about PayPal Bell, back in the day, and he was going on about this, like in 1999, about creating this like super app. He wanted to get rid of PayPal and name it X PayPal. And Peter Thiel, Riley was like. You're nuts, dude. You're not doing that. And they did a bunch of focus groups showing that consumers <laughs> disliked the brand's name because it reminded them of porn. And Elon Musk was apparently, unsurprisingly, unmoved. <laughs> and he acquired X.com and nothing would convince him, apparently, that this was a bad idea. And so he's just been stewing on it, I guess, for almost a quarter of a century. I don't know if super apps are going to happen and not in the US. China has super Why? apps and I just, I just heard repeatedly just history. I don't see any super app that has worked here and if Facebook was not able to construct a super app at the height of its Okay, so let's break
1: it down. I'm not sure everybody understands.
2: Are we
0: moving away from the brand now? Well, I was going to bring it back to the brand because changing a logo is like interesting and whatnot. But what's more substantive is the fact that he's trying to leave behind, at least what Troy is saying, the legacy of what Twitter was, which Mm. is a short-form communication vehicle, and become... A super app, payments, all kinds of things. Yeah,
1: Yeah. he needs to redefine the company. I don't care if X sounds like a porn site. People will forget that if it starts to provide functionality that's useful and changes the way you do things. So super app would mean what, Brian? If we were to break down the functional components of a super app in addition to, say, some type of personal publishing or short-form publishing, it would mean payments, right? It Mm -hmm. would probably be in, in the case of... Other super apps, it's commerce, right? It's a place where you can sell yeah. products.
0: Logistics. I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to be able to sell. You're going to be able to buy off that. They're going to deliver the stuff you can You book can book a taxi. Sure, you can order food
1: to your house. And so in some ways, your iPhone's a bit of a super app, isn't it? Because it has built-in payments. That's a big use case. I use my phone every day to pay for things. Other than it just of of course being a home for all the applications, but it yeah. has native native functionality that competes, I suppose, with a super app with WhatsApp.
2: I feel like we're giving all of these decisions a little bit more credit and now we have a bunch of really Smart people, I don't know if I count us in that, but talking about corporate rebrands and the super app and what this could mean with for financial systems and stuff like that. The guy, and we've all known that, I've been that guy, he bought a cool domain and he's been trying to find something to do with it for a while. And I think this Twitter acquisition didn't go as well as he wanted. He keeps finding out that he doesn't have the wind in his sails as he used to. Fewer and fewer people are rooting for him, or the people who are, are kind of a very specific type of person. Well, not really, as this is... Hang on. We're trying to kind of figure out the genius behind an ego-driven decision. And fine, like it's his, he can do what he wants with it. But the fact is, like he's not trying to fix Twitter. If he was trying to build a super app, I'm not sure that Twitter is the best baseline for it. And good luck getting into okay. the world of the super app, which requires an immense amount of trust and partnership with other companies when everything he's been doing for the last few months is eroding trust with both users and other companies. So... I can hold these two thoughts in mind. The Tesla stuff is incredible. They're winning on charging networks. They've done incredible things. SpaceX is incredible. But this Twitter thing is kind of where he goes to express his ego in a way that is uncontrolled. And Yakarino has become his paint sponge. Like That message, and sometimes when you watch a mafia movie... To prove allegiance, somebody will have to go do something really crazy, like shoot a person in broad daylight or something like that. That is like a message that she has sent out under duress. No serious person would send this out. It's crazy. It's like a line from Succession. Like, but I okay. We shouldn't but, forget that this stuff is nuts. But it's for fun to kind of bad, dispense the with decisions. the
1: sort of I hate Elon kind of liberal rant, I, <laughs> and just think I'm, about. But I'm trying
2: to be. Hey, forget Elon for a second. Yeah. Incredible. What do you mean? You just no. Wait. Well, hang on. SpaceX. All of that stuff. Incredible. I can agree with that. But in this case, like what else is it? Where does that come from? So These decisions.
1: That's why I want to just go back to what does it mean? Okay. So if you think about Elon has changed Twitter in the last, I don't know, how long has he owned it? Six to twelve months, more than it had changed in the previous five years. Oh uh, okay. exciting. Okay. So the pace of innovation and development has increased. Now what has to come next to start to change the use case for the app? So I just want to give them the benefit of the doubt and think about what are the things Twitter does now that it never did before. So we're working on community pages. We've changed authentication. We've had subscriptions. We can now do long form. There's more functionality around video. Audio existed before. So now what do we do next? Let's just think about what you would do. What do you add next? Because if you just said, there's something in this. If you just said, oh my God, I'm going to make Twitter better. No, you're not. You're not. It's it is what it is. So you need to take whatever it is, the couple hundred million people that are using it, the permission you have as someone is connected to that cohort and start to add new features in a way that hopefully attracts new people and deepens your relationship with those people. So what would it be?
0: What's been successful so far? I agree with you some things have happened, but I don't know if any sort of product changes, at least as someone who uses Twitter a lot. like I can't say that the experience and the app and everything has materially changed at all for the better for me. Again, I just think the guy's a weirdo. I don't get into the anti Elon stuff.
2: I think part of the issue is like everything he does around Twitter. Even people who are close to him who still follow him like often disagree with him and don't understand why he's like that. And I think he sometimes acts like an addict around it, and and it's become this thing where where he applies yeah. But this is what we're doing. Like, like I don't want to analyze Elon. Called? I
0: don't care. I don't care about the guy. Yeah, but that's okay, what I'm but, saying. I really so, do So let's
2: look at the business decisions so far. I right? don't. I'm
0: let's, with you on this, Troy. finally we're aligned.
1: I love you, Brian. Sure. Okay. Uh, Alex can't to, help. He can't help it. He can't help himself on this.
0: You're playing into this game. This is like Trump.
2: So let's. I'm waiting. Look, look at that. What I don't want us to do, or what I'd rather we didn't do, was try to apply some sort of like genius logic to these decisions. Right. And I'm not saying that's what you're doing explicitly, Troy, but it feels like we're heading in that direction. I just don't think that there is a lot of intention here, or it just like kind of it and reaction.
0: Yeah. And well, it's I such, find it's that. Trump. There's no 3D chess going on. No, there's no checkers. I think this is one of those things
2: that is just like, it's on the decline. These are all very knee jerk. Reactions. Let's go through some of the ideas. Moving to a subscription model is the type of things that you would hear in the halls of like tech power where people say, Man, if Twitter only switched to a subscription model, they would solve all their shit. It didn't. Right. The, the I, I agree is, with what you're saying. The business has collapsed. So, I think so there's analogies it's kind of a business in decline place. with a bunch of bad decisions. It's like
1: Puck endlessly commenting on the misfortunes of Chris Licht and CNN. It's great. It's fun. Mm-hmm. It makes for a great story. I'm more interested in like you have a news network that's part of a declining cable bundle. Now what? What do you do? You're running the business. How do you experiment with fast channels? How do you experiment with streaming? What do you do with a a subscription option outside of the bundle? It's sort of like this with Twitter. Maybe he has a grand plan. I don't know. I think it's interesting to think about what do you do next? So you vary your media types is essentially all that happened. Brian just said Okay, great, that didn't change my Twitter experience. To be a everything app, I think you have to use it as a payments mechanism. That feels really hard to me because I already have easy ways to make payments from Venmo to Apple Pay, like it's pretty crowded. So then what are you going to do? Use it as a place where people can sell stuff out of their garage, like it's going to become Craigslist? Or is it going to become a backbone for commerce like Instagram's trying to become? What's the move? That's all I'm speculating on. Okay. This thing that's, is that's whatever. more interesting. It's, yeah. What's the move? What would you do? What would I do? Yeah. I mean, someone hands you Twitter. They say, "Okay, it's fucked up. Do something with it."
2: I think, first of all, changing that whole culture of that team. I don't appreciate how he did it and what he ended up doing. Oh my but god. I think there was. What
0: definitely- do you do, Alex, sweetheart? What are you gonna do? Got Elon derangement syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) He's rattling your cage, Alex.
2: I get Twitter when I get Twitter today, or I get Twitter when he got Twitter. Yeah, that's a good question. You get it today.
0: He got. I get it today.
2: Jesus. First of all, like having a smaller team that is more geared towards releasing product is great. I think that building a more viable product for a subscription product for power users is great. I think that there is a real kind of interesting thing that you can do by sharing revenue with your users.
1: And Another big ad, by the way, I missed that one. But that's really important. All of the ideas are technically correct. The audience did not see, is a, but Brian just made a face. Of me
0: uh, I just don't, I, I don't, well, we're not well, let me
2: run on. let me run through it. You had add yeah. more focus on video, absolutely right. You start phasing out bots or the things that you know you, you claim that you were doing, absolutely right. Sounds problem like he's doing a lot me, right a lot right, Alex. No, no. I'm saying the problem for me is all of these things have been executed terribly. Like these are not yeah. bad ideas. That's what I'm keep saying. I don't know how to analyze this because yeah, this all sounds like a good idea, but every step of the way he's alienated the teams. Okay, stop. Alienated advertisers so the advertising's down 50%. The features were released broken. Twitter Blue is a terrible product.
1: Oh my god, you you know who you sound like right now? On the All In podcast they interviewed Vivek, yeah. what's his face? And they asked him, "Do you support what Trump did?" And they said, yeah. What, the I, presidential uh, candidate? Yeah, the candidate, yes. Ramos the Republican Ramos? candidate, Ramos? yeah, Swani. yeah. I support everything that Trump did. It's just that 30% of the country literally cannot ever accept this person as our leader. And by definition, therefore, he cannot be the leader because he's I think, a, that's
2: di- I think that's disingenuous. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is forgetting the character for a second. There is a list of things that they tried to do and they've moved through them very quickly. But in every single case... They have delivered something that was either a bad product or managed to break things worse than they were. So I don't know how to analyze these decisions. Once again, with a logo, absolutely. You could do a transition to a new logo. Is the way he did it the right way to do it? Probably not. I think, what are you doing with the equity of Twitter? How are you expecting people to talk about it? That seems like just something that you're doing for fun and it's going to get you some press, but I don't know if in the long run is the right thing to do. The thing that he's really good at is like, being interesting and staying in front of our minds. So Elon, the brand, is kind of putting a lot of attention on Twitter. But mm-hmm. I look at this list of things that he did, it's like, oh, these were not bad ideas. Just execution. I, guess I, I think
0: we, we inevitably have to talk about Elon Musk and his management approach, right? Because it just seems like, tell me if I'm wrong, but he doesn't do this with his other companies, does he? SpaceX doesn't all of a sudden. Maybe it's just because this is Twitter, and I honestly think like, Twitter is not worth like paying attention to that much. I don't think it's as important as people claim it to be. And I say that as someone who's wasted a lot of time on the app. Because there's a difference between being decisive and impulsive. Right. And yeah, he seems like a guy we've maybe you guys haven't. I've worked for dudes who think that they're decisive and they're just being impulsive and just having a knee jerk reaction to things and making people scramble to try to figure out what it's about is not being decisive. It's just being dumb. And I don't think he runs his other companies this way. Does he? And why is he doing it here? To me, that's the point. The fact that he wants to rebrand it to X. I think it's interesting in that like you're tanking something with a lot of brand equity and maybe that's a bad thing because it's tied around the tweet but like the way it's being done it's like he's sending out and he's saying if the logo is half decent it'll go live and then they didn't even change most of the stuff and it's just none of it seems coherent and so yeah i again i don't care about the guy himself but you know what though
1: there's some there's something i have to be the other voice on this because there's something that There's something about his management style that is super fun to watch for sure and and kind of admirable, which is we are going to fight inertia and take on massive obstacles and overcome them at all costs. The whole thing about building an automotive company is you have to get to a scale where the number of units you sell overwhelms the hugely forbidding kind of cost structure and scale requirements of building an automotive business. And it's meant at times that he was teetering on bankruptcy, sleeping on the shop floor, like it's just taken an insane amount of force. And then through that, like I just read the quarterly report of Tesla, and it's hard not to just be kind of like, quite honestly, like incredibly impressed and amazed at what they've accomplished.
2: Right, but then you're doing the thing where you're applying a, a lot of his character into our conversation here. That's a different business. I don't understand that the same person runs these two business outside of the fact that he didn't really want to buy it. Then he was forced to buy it. And then... He inherited okay, this thing, but, which was a big pain in the ass. But today, like, you, you cannot compare the way Tesla or SpaceX is run with the way Twitter is run.
0: Yeah, but wait, Troy, no are way. you saying are you saying that like what Twitter needs is this, and so he's doesn't do this the other companies because I mean they've got massive my, different; and they're totally different m- m- companies.
1: My completely unfounded position on yeah, this, this is a podcast. that God, go for it. It, no, but it's exactly what he does. In one case, yeah, you need to have obviously more QA and stricter production constraints and guidelines and all that. You're making a car, you're making a rocket. But like, it's all about just forcing a group of people. And a company against a very big idea. All of his companies have these big, audacious mission statements. And getting a people group of people excited about it and completely through, through kind of will and force of personality mm-hmm. moving the company against that. So what has happened here? I so say I think this is really important. And we brushed over it as just one of the things they did. But Twitter, as a place where you go up and just do short form communication, it's not a business. So what have they been trying to do? Build out the community functionality, create a platform to you so that you can publish longer, more involved things, video, audio, long form journalism, whatever. Create a payment structure for creators on that platform. Those are very important fundamental building blocks to the sort of media platform side of the business. Now, next what you have to do is you have to get into payments and you have to get into commerce if you want it to be this kind of app. And you probably have to start as a way, I'm assuming, by getting, like, in China, you have small business using, what's the name of the, it's not WhatsApp, what's the other app that's a super app in China? WeChat. Called? WeChat, WeChat. WeChat. Right, so you walk up to a food stand in China, you scan the QR code on the on the food stand with WeChat, sure. and that's your payment mechanism. So he's got to start to get into payments. It's just that maybe in five years, he'll have done it. Redefined the company, maybe. broadened the media kind of purview of what it is away from just being short form and found a way to get into payments and I think it would be a remarkable business story if that was true and I'd kind of like to watch it happen.
2: Can we like just put a time frame on this? How long till every step of the way there is a failure? Until we start seeing this as a collection of failures that leads to this immense success that we're all?
0: Five years. Five years? Okay. Five, it's five yeah. years, so we can. Like five years, other, X is a super app. Another couple thousand episodes, we'll get there.
2: I'll bet you a thousand dollars that in five all years right. this thing is nothing.
0: I want logo talk because people love to hate on new logos. You've experienced this, right? Did you do the Airbnb logo that supposedly looked like a? No, vagina? I joined.
2: I joined right at that. Okay. Time though.
0: Okay. It's like, I remember that. Anytime we did, I was at Adweek, I think, at the time. Anytime anyone changed their logo and we just needed traffic, we would just be like, oh, so and so has a new logo. And then the comments section would just light up. I hate it. It sucks. It looks like this. People hate new logos. They love to hate on new logos. Do you hate
1: the new logo? Oh, with all my heart. Yes. It's the worst.
2: (laughs) It's so bad. He literally crowdsourced it. And the person that said it said, well, I based it off this free font I found, I think. And we made it for our Xbox podcast. That must offend
0: you as the designer. Is that why you're well, hating on no,
2: Well, I feel like I'm pretty sensible about this stuff. Here's the thing with logos, with rebrands, it's never just about the logo, it's about a brand, it's about like the story you tell. And honestly, like that happens over months and years. And so you build all sorts of equity in a logo. You start getting a sense of tone and then it's all in the execution, right? Like how it sits on an icon and how it's used in culture and media and how it's used in ads and how the company kind of expresses it in all sorts of ways. So it's always kind of a fool's errand to rate a logo you can kind of discuss maybe some technical concerns with it it's very generic so if i were to do that there's a hundred things that look like this today i think it definitely has a very broadly masculine connotation if you were going to make a brand that looks like a dude brand for a razor or something like that it would probably look like that so it's
0: like the mock x you know, yeah, like yeah, it's it's, it's a
2: very, it feels like a credit card for bros or something, right?
0: Well, it's like the Uber rebrand, right? Uber yeah. rebranded and it was kind of similar sort of LA-ish in a bad yeah. way. Yeah,
2: and that even that, old, you know, you can kind of work against it. By the way, you express the brand in all sorts of different ways. So, so there's a bunch of technical issues. I think here, the thing that really bothers me is that it's kind of the why you rebrand is always the question that you should ask yourself. And sometimes it's because you want to change things. Like, you know, when Meta rebranded, it was to make a statement. Sometimes you just want to hide the fact that you are a tobacco company and, and you want to put a friendlier name on your product. In this case, I think he hasn't made the work easier for himself because now there's going to need to be a lot of communication and people have a lot of questions as to what that means. And I get a sense that X is not a particularly great term to use for your product for various reasons. But the porn stuff is stupid. Yeah, that, it's not great. It's like not a very tasteful. But
0: thing. what about the decision to throw away the brand equity of Twitter? Or is, oh, I think that's is that, that brand equity more of a millstone?
2: It's disastrous. And he said he bought Twitter because it was meant to be this thing that was bigger than the town square. And and fact is, like, Twitter has become part of our vernacular, tweet, Twitter. The equity that's been built into that is going to be hard to replicate. It's going to take years. I mean, years. it's insane, you guys, but that's what's kind of cool about it. Yeah, no, but that's why You know, like, have you ever seen the movie, the show The Boys? The Boys? No. Okay, I don't know. The, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's insane. There's a character called Homelander in there, and you... He's very watchable, but that's because he's insane and makes terrible decisions. What I find fascinating is that so many smart people are spending a lot of time trying to discuss and train, well, what is the real genius behind it? I think it was. it's deeply entertaining. I was hoping we would talk about it. I can talk about this shit forever, but I'm hoping it's, to it's, wrap a, it up it's a
0: terrible decision. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> this has been going on for a half hour. It's yeah. a terrible Let's decision. Let's move on, seriously. Enough with Elon Musk. We're doing everyone a favor. Anyone is stuck around, thank you. Well, next question. I don't know. <laughs> Thread sucks.
2: When Twitter becomes too much about Twitter, I don't think it's actually good for the product. And if you look at what's trending on Twitter. It's Musk, Twitter X, he did it, welcome to X. Like the trending stuff seems to be very much leaning towards the cohort of people who are very pro-Elon, and I think there's likely an-
0: Yeah, but that's why he's doing this. It's for power. It's not for money or any of that stuff. It's, come on. Bro. No, I'm talking about from a bi- media business side, right? Yeah, but why do people own media businesses? Because they're such great businesses. Wow, yeah. Do you don't so, think Twitter could be a good business? Could it be a good business? I don't know. It hasn't been a good business for like almost twenty years. So like I, but it was misrun
2: then. And it, okay,
0: name it? name a company that was misrun for fifteen years in the technology space that suddenly became a great business. Can you think of one? I can't.
2: Troy, I don't know. Could it have been
1: managed down to a small number of people and become a high margin social network? Maybe. Yeah, I think it's probably true, but I think that realizing that the thing you bought is never going to be the thing you want it to be unless you do things that are radical is where we're at. And I'm interested to see how it moves from here, but I do agree, Alex, with your assessment of the brand. I think it's heinous. Mm.
0: We've arrived at closure with the heinous brand. Can we talk about Barbie? <laughs> and then we'll get to distribution choke points or aggregation ch- choke points. Oh boy, I mean, yeah. Pink Hot Summer is upon us, apparently. Both Barbie and Oppenheimer had big openings. I think combined, they, they banked $235 million this weekend. In there the were US. people walking around yeah, there were people walking around in pink outfits in Manhattan yesterday. In Miami, where it was this previous weekend, there was a lot of people swathed in pink all over the place. Most of them were for Messi, however, because he made his debut down there. This feels like a bout of nostalgia. The idea of blockbuster movies opening, people flocking to the theater, having Barb and Hammer shirts on, dressing up. I think we could use more group cultural moments. It doesn't feel like this is going to be the future, but it's more of just a sort of reflection of what was. But I don't think that this doesn't seem to me to be how, when you think about what Hollywood is facing right now, this, this seems to be a blast from the past, but maybe I'm wrong. What do you guys think?
2: It's funny because I think it's both like a really interesting and unique cultural event because these two movies are so diametrically opposed but also generating a ton of attention. And it's kind of wonderful that people are watching these movies as a double feature. The fact that Barbie it was directed by an independent filmmaker and has this really interesting message in it. And it's coming out right at the same time and as, as this like kind of masterpiece of a movie that is Oppenheimer. I think that stuff is really interesting and actually shows a pretty healthy cultural environment for that stuff to happen. On the other side, it's kind of telling that there there's maybe like three directors and movie stars that can garner pretty predictable attention, whether it's Tom Cruise or... What's his name? The director. Ryan Gosling? Yeah, I'm thinking about the director of Oppenheimer for some reason. <laughs> Nolan. Yeah, Christopher uh, Nolan. It's like Tom Cruise or Nolan can still get people through the doors, but is that enough? And on the other side, it's like we're fracking culture to get the last remaining juice out of IP. So it's Barbie, but now Mattel is getting very excited about releasing movies, and these are coming hot off the heels of this Barbie stuff. And I don't think that's great. Like, literally, let me list you some of the next big toy based movies coming out Matchbox, <laughs> Big Jim, Thomas the Tank Engine, American Girl, Magic Eight Ball, Uno, Rock 'em, Sock 'em Ro- Robots, which Vin Diesel is attached to, Polly Pocket with Lena Dunham attached, Barney. Hot Wheels, which is a J.J. Abrams joint, and Masters of the Universe. So that is making me feel like a little sick because the which is movies. your
0: which is your favorite? Well, which I do It's not that I care. It's Uno. Just, Uno. is the one that I.
2: I mean, Uno is going I to assumes. be riveting. I'm excited about Barney. Barney.
0: Yes. You know, Barney's controversial. It,
2: it's it's dangerous when in culture the only bets we can take is on an existing IP or on somebody that's like a surefire creator.
0: Right. That's why I don't think it's like lasting. Which is why I would
1: take the counterpoint to you there, Alex. First of all, this is the largest directorial debut by a woman ever which is amazing. She's a great filmmaker and I'm a big fan. I think what this tells us is that we're sick of superhero movies. I think that's interesting because Disney totally loaded up on that IP. I don't want to see another Spider-Man movie or another Batman movie or like the franchises that have been worn out, quite frankly. And so it's refreshing that there's some mass cultural product that isn't a superhero movie
0: but can't you make anything from scratch? Why do we have to do what, I would like the term cultural fracking. Maybe I'm just like being grumpy. Like,
2: Hang on, I, I don't think we're disagreeing. I think as an event, as a unique little bubble, the Barbenheimer thing is really interesting and I think a really positive development. When you take a step back and you're looking at what that means, which is just creating tentpole movies either out of <laughs> existing IP or pretty reliable producers like the Tom Cruise's or Nolan's, right? That's a little bit more
0: worrying. But as its own little thing this summer, I think this is a great summer for movies. It's a great summer for movies. Hollywood is closed and they've got the writers are on strike. The actors are on strike. Netflix is back. They just added 6 million subs because they cracked down on <laughs> password <laughs> yeah. sharing. And that Disney was celebrating the, the last quarter. They only only lost $635 million on streaming and they might be able to get it profitable by the end of next year. So count on that 2025. The economics are totally different now. This again, like I want to be positive. I really do. And I think it's really nice to have these cultural moments, but it's a sugar high, isn't it? This is a distraction from the long-term structural challenges that the business models there face.
2: The part of the issue is that the economics of making a movie and the distribution is, has just become like really untenable. And so therefore the risks that you can take on stuff like new IPs is, is much lower. So lots of things are going to change. But I think we're tapping the toy box now, literally with Mattel, because yes, we are tired of Marvel and Marvel like had this great run, the miraculous casting of. Robert Downey and Iron Man kind of like carried them for all this time. But they managed to suck the energy out of Star Wars in a much shorter amount of time because they overloaded it. I think part of that is connected to having to create so much content for streamers. I do think like we talk about people getting tired of superhero movies. I think it's because the oversaturation happened not only in movies, but also like across every streaming platform. I'm excited about that stuff slowing down a little bit.
1: Brian, this is a blip in another rise, very bad summer. There's really nothing positive in media right now, I don't think. And Disney's probably the poster child for the, the sudden shift. And when the otherwise stately and circumspect Bob Iger admitting in a CNBC interview that the challenges are greater than I had anticipated and that cables hit the wall and asset, asset sales are forthcoming. It just felt that was the moment that we all will kind of look back on where TV felt the same pressures that all of media has been facing for some time. It's just like this thing that we were talking about, which to me is kind of aggregation. It's the aggregation game that's so hostile to media has now hit television in a real way.
0: So let's talk about that because that is the next topic. Good segue, Trey. Media is dictated by distribution. And, and we've discussed a lot the economic, that economics are downstream of distribution. And that's why I think the fiercest battles are waged on the interface level. Cause if you control the interface, you control the distribution. If you control the distribution, you control the economics and you're going to give yourself a pretty big slice of the pie there. Digital media seems like this is even more true. It's always been true, but publishers have completely lost control of distribution. And they live at the mercy of aggregators. In a world of limitless supply and almost limitless suppliers, publishers are in a bind. I think it's easy to say the future of media is going direct and all that, but the reality is that is not going to be an option for the vast majority of publishers or content creators. They couldn't create their own apps that people wanted to use, and pining for the return of the homepage is just a weird nostalgia, if you ask me. So what, where does that leave? Can, can media creators possibly compete with these inexorable forces of aggregation, Troy? I don't think so, no. Oh, great. I was trying to be hopeful.
1: Well, let's talk about when and how Okay. and if, right? So you laid it out really well, I thought. It was interesting when the disruptive force of... Ne- you guys think back to that moment when you were like, wait, I can get Netflix and just stream shit to my... TV and I don't have to get a DVD and I can watch. I mean, it was really disruptive and really beautiful from the consumer perspective. And then in some ways, the cable companies thought they could double dip, right? So it would have been good for them. They could release their own app, sell you a direct subscription and be part of the cable bundle. And then all of their apps, not all of them, but they were not great. They didn't have the catalog that made the value proposition worthwhile. You had to authenticate. You're not going to authenticate with 15 different content providers. And suddenly, their world looked a lot like a website where you know what aggregation of content in a feed, be it Twitter or in video TikTok, is way better than going to a web page, waiting for it to load, being assaulted by ads, pressing play on a video player, or reading someone's article that's 50% fluff. It's just like aggregation, the value prop for consumers, is just super powerful, right? Feed is just story, 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 thing you're interested, thing you're, like it's just efficient and it's great and you authenticate one time and it works. TikTok is the crack of aggregation. It is incredible. Where would you see opportunities to avoid complete value destruction and aggregation? Well, let's talk about it. Your content has to be really differentiated, right? The consumer has to be really motivated to get your content. There has to be a critical mass of it. So what Netflix did is they built enough catalog that it's worth spending time on Netflix. Some people have Netflix as their sole entertainment supplier. So you got to have scale, you got to have content that's differentiated that people want. Or your email box is another sort of aggregation point, I would argue. And there, I will take the time. It's interesting what email did, right? All it did is it's dispensed with all the crap that's on most web pages. You'll read people who you think have something to say, and so it's differentiated, and I think that works mm-hmm. as a media channel. So, yeah, I mean. But,
0: but to be fair, even in email, you're being aggregated at the end of the day. Like people may ask for it, but like Apple, for instance, they just came out and they said, well, we're not going to, we're going to make it that tracking links. Cause you do all sorts of things with email in the background that Apple doesn't like. They already said they didn't like you tracking who opened the email. It's like, God forbid you know that. Now they say, yeah, we don't like these tracking links. So you're not going to be able to track who, who clicked and use UTMs and ba- basic stuff. And so I don't know. To me, it's just like you, you're always going to be at the mercy of some tech aggregator.
1: Listen, it's more profound in digital than it is in another world, in in the physical world. I can't really see a way around it. You know, It makes me think about this conversation I had, which is probably the next topic you want to get into, which is around what media companies are selling right now to make money. Because it really does tell the story about where media is at, and it tells a story of aggregation to me.
0: We haven't heard from Alex. He's been quiet. He's been seabing about Elon.
2: I'm really trying to have a conversation that is purely about Twitter.
0: This is like a very serious episode, by the way. This is what the preparation has done, Troy. It's yeah. Taking the fun out. Do you know? You know what I'm thinking when I think about aggregation? It
2: feels, and I'm not saying you guys are saying this, but sometimes it feels like we talk about aggregation like this unstoppable force that is happening to media. And therefore, you know, what are you going to do? But I wonder how much of the challenges of media, whether it is the film industry, or TV industry, or even music, isn't really like a user experience issue. And I think what's happened is there's just too much friction. It's just too hard to use all those things. So people are naturally going towards aggregation as the way that they want things to be. So. When it was just Netflix, it was great. And everybody felt, well, we just want everything as Netflix. But then we didn't think that this world would be 18 different apps that you had to jump between. And everyone decides to make their pause work differently. And then because they wanted to make things in their own app, they needed to create a bunch of content to remove that decision from you. You had to go there. So they then oversaturated the market with too much content. If we just had ended up with a standard that kind of centralized everything and allowed us just to access our content the way it should be accessed outside of the app ecosystem. I think there might be less pressure right now to kind of merge all these apps and the economics could work better. And I think it's the same thing that happened with cable. Cable was so much better than TV because TV had to change all these channels and all of a sudden cables you had to set top box and you could see what's playing but then they fucked up that interface so people got sick and tired of that interface and then Netflix seemed so much better but what we keep doing is we keep fucking up the interface. And oh, I,
1: would, I, I like that argument and I wish it was true, but it strikes me as being incredibly naive.
2: I mean, I, I'm probably being naive, but I think that I, we also remove a lot of the, I think some decisions were made at Disney and all these places that has accelerated where we are today. It's not like, well, it was inevitable and we had to fight Netflix. Yeah. Well, you also did too much Star Wars stuff and you also built crappy apps. I think that there's some reason behind that. And it's probably not black
0: and white. ESPN should have stuck with ESPN, the phone. Like, hell, they might have had the right idea there. <laughs> they ignored tech for a while they they bought bam tech too late but what i see happening it's funny because i think music did go first and stuff and one of the problems with hollywood and with a lot of and i think you're seeing this with publishers something i'm writing about is what saved music is like taylor swift is going to generate a billion dollars and no tech company is going to is going to stand in the way of that and that's because she's got this what is it? new eras eras tour i, don't know, I haven't been yet And she's selling out like stadiums left and right and she brings it with like a three-hour show or something and it's a great business i think getting out of that algorithmic aggregation because the economics are always going to suck for you as a supplier they're just always going to suck there are too many suppliers there's too little leverage you're just going to be fighting for scraps and if you can get out of that and you can control economics that do not involve these tech platform aggregators, then you're at a way better position. I'm writing about this week about how events and experiential are a major part of a lot of publishers' businesses, even at Bloomberg Media. It's- 25% of their business. Semaphore is going to be 40% events this year. Experiential, whatever you want to call it, is keeping the lights on at Bustle. And that's what publishers have to do because ads are not going to cut it. And there's only so much subscription dollars. That's right.
1: Can, can I build on that for a sec? And this yeah. is, a, I was told that it's about 20% of Bustle's revenue events, up from, say, 3% a year ago. When you think about the formula of a digital media company to get revenue, just it's interesting to reflect on for a second, because there was a time when we were happy to have programmatic advertising because it was an additional twenty percent in the p and l that you wouldn't have otherwise have gotten, and it was low cost of sale, just basically it flowed on your site, and you still went out and did all the hand-to-hand combat to get direct revenue. Essentially, what's happened in the last couple of years is publishers have given up on monetizing much of their display and content inventory on websites and just handed it all over to Programmatic. And so what they're doing to sell direct is basically doing content creation, talent wrangling, and activations, and then buying views on social media. It's been going on forever, right? It's not a new thing. But you buy views on Instagram and TikTok at one or two cents per view and you sell them at six cents a view. And then you, you manage the complexity of putting the content together and getting talent and all that stuff. I think that's fine, except it will never create scaled media businesses. Because to create a scaled media business, you have to have systematic ad insertion against a distribution position that you own. And all of those are fleeting positions that you're selling against. And so it's okay it's not the end of the world yeah it's just what happens is you'll never have like i ran a two and a half billion dollar business and it's going to be really hard to get to that scale
0: yeah you're not going to do like a bunch of a hundred thousand dollar events and get yourself to 2.2 billion dollars you can do a lot i think like forbes does probably like 400 events a year but they don't scale the good thing is the market it's not just
1: events brian i'm talking about i'm talking about what's your core media that you're selling other than events
0: the, the so, explain that.
1: You know, if you own magazines, your core media was pages. If you had a website, you were selling your pages, the digital equivalent. Now, what you're doing is you're spreading content across other people's platforms, you're buying that inventory and yeah. you're reselling it.
0: Yeah, that's like arbitrage, right? I know when I say arbitrage, people get sensitive.
1: Well, it's more than arbitrage because hopefully you've earned a following that you're selling into or you're retargeting against your following, which, as you know, is changing a lot. But you are creating the content, and hopefully your brand also adds some superficial relevance to what you're selling.
0: I think the change that's going to happen, and maybe this is not what you're saying, but is that events, experiential, whatever, the live component is going to go to be the core output, a core output. So what you're talking about, and this is, I think, why it's always been incremental to publishers, is they've looked at it as just some little side thing. And in order to make events like really profitable and really repeatable, it has to be core to what you do. You cannot treat events like your side gig I was just talking with Justin Smith like earlier today about this, and he said most publishers, particularly news publishers, the people against events are the B and C team in the newsroom. And he described Semaphore as an events company. And that's a different size business, first of all. Because you can only do so many events. I mean, yeah, that, just strikes me. that strikes
1: me. That strikes me that that's the beginning of the end.
0: They just did a dinner in Lagos and various other things in the like guitar. Did you day? I remember Henry Blodgett had said in a very Henry way, Oh, you're like an events company with a website. And he's like, No, I didn't mean it in a bad way, which of course he did. But you know what? It was a better model. Events were more protected. Look at what's happening to the people who relied on programmatic because it was easy. And events are a pain in the ass.
2: Events are a pain in the ass, but I think what you build into events is kind of this finite surface that you can extract value from. Mm -hmm. And what's happening with the internet now is like the internet turned media into basically infinite surface areas, and therefore you could scale advertising infinitely, and therefore advertising lost value. So you started creating more content. With AI, you got to have a whole new dimension. So you got to have like wide surface area with a bunch of depth, and there's going to be even less money to be made on it. Everybody's going to be kind of Peddling some sort of like event or something that they can directly control, right? Which is why there's all this concentration happening on newsletters and podcasts. We still control that. It's hard to scale, hard to make money off, but uh, people are investing in it because they can still control it. The rest of the internet, there's going to not really be any meaningful money to be made, and you're going to be applying a ton of effort to it. What else is there than events that somebody like a media company can do? They're all events company. I can't see them going anywhere else. And you're saying it's the beginning of the end, Troy. It's just, I think this business is changing.
1: I'm only trying to think through when you're fundamentally a news company, what is your sort of enthusiast customer base that you're going to get out to events? It's like the Washington set. And you're going to try to do that against companies that are involved in the energy lobby or that have other foreign policy goals or whatever. You're going to do it in markets around the world. I would say you're tapping into probably a fairly deep discretionary pool of money. But against that, can you run, in addition to your events team and building that up, a robust newsroom and free content, which is what it is today. Or maybe it'll become a subscription in the future. And it just seems like a tough business model, that's all. Because yeah, I can't see it getting tough. over. It. Yeah, I mean, maybe that sounds sort of, we say it so much. It's just like, yeah, okay, yeah, you're going to work. But I think that when you raise money with a media startup, raise a bunch of money, the hope that is that it scales to material size, $100 million and real, real margin. Can you do that on the back of a 50% event business? I'm not sure.
0: A, well, sure. I mean, I would guess it would go down over time. I think one of the advantages of events is you can generate a large amount of revenue before your audience is massive. It's an advantage. Even like Semaphore, they generated hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue before they even published a word. That's the advantage of events. But yeah, over time, I don't think that Semaphore can maintain being 40% events revenue. And I think it is an indicative to the state of the more common forms of monetization for digital publishing that events are such a large portion of a lot of people's businesses because I think everyone thinks there's like too much events. But I see it in my own business. When I started doing like dinners and events, man, people people want that stuff. And you have different leverage in the sales process, an event happens. If you sell ads, you're just hoping people pay you afterwards, like in 90 days. 100 days 180 days events like you gotta pay or you're not gonna be part of the event there's just different dynamics to it the downside because there's downsides to everything is really hard to scale and really mm. big pain in the ass ton of details
1: you know you've changed your tune on this a little bit I because have, i remember absolutely. you have yeah because you were pretty negative on how mm-hmm. important events had become to digiday and what it did to the company yep.
0: I saw it that it's nuanced a little bit but like there's a balance. I'm going to write about this because in a lot of news organizations events are treated as not my job and it's looked at as a lesser pursuit than breaking stories. It just is. I think building a culture that is both about the news process, but also recognizing that this live component is absolutely critical, is hard, but necessary. I would tell every single person we interviewed them like 70% of the revenue comes from events. So if you're not about that, you're just basically saying that like, oh, I don't want to contribute to how the company makes money, which it's a tactic. I don't know if it's one that's very wise to do, but you can I'm not going to force anyone to do anything. Lots of different ways to contribute in the market. It's just, it's really hard to make money in a lot of different ways. Events are more durable than, than I thought, for sure. Like what I see, there's a lot of demand for in-person interaction. I just think that there's a way to do it better than the old way of the lanyards and the Hilton ballroom. Have you ever been to that one? You've been to that a lot, right? The Hilton and Midtown, it's horrible. No one should ever want to go back there. I'm there right now. Too much air conditioning, those carpets, lanyards. Okay,
2: should we talk about the next topic? <laughs>
0: Yeah, let's talk about the last, next topic. and then. God,
2: let's... Vanya's going to have to edit this down into like a snappy or high-energy situation. Maybe put some... Yeah,
1: you know... but the last topic is very connected and it has to do... I do this every week. The last topic has to do with where ad sales is at, which I think is interesting.
0: Okay, hmm. where, where ad sales is at. Disastrous Q1. I think just about everyone had a bad Q1. Slightly better Q2. And then, eh, we'll see for the rest of the year. What are you hearing? Same, exactly.
1: Maybe Q3 is flat to last year at best.
0: The problem is that people lost so much ground in Q1 that there's no way to make it up, and so there's going to be a big hole. Is it going to get better,
2: or is it just in constant decline?
0: That's the question I keep asking: like whether this is a structural problem or whether this is cyclical. Because I mean, the ad business is cyclical.
2: I just said it at last topic, but advertising with scale became an incredibly good business for some, but the internet scale just like was so infinite that there was like so much inventory, and I do wonder. With things like AI and generative text and stuff like that, that space for inventory is just going to get bigger and bigger. I'm on the other side of this. I'm starting to figure out what my marketing plan is.
0: Oh my god! I'm talking to. I'm like I've embraced events, and Alex has embraced ads. Well, no, no. I want
2: to advertise. I'm releasing products. Okay? Okay. I would like to advertise. I would like to start generating some attention for my business. When do you buy ads from People vs. Algorithms podcast, I'll get you a deal. Well, I mean, this is an ad for me. That's the Trojan horse right here. This has been an ad all this time. But it's hard for me. I'm talking to folks that are going direct to consumer or, or building new types of products or things like that, and everybody's having a really bad time with advertising. Not getting traction or engagement. Numbers don't seem to line up. What? and I know you had thoughts on that, and I was wondering, like nobody seems to be making money. And I no- don't think
0: you're talking about advertising; you're talking about performance marketing.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I,
0: yeah.
1: You know, I think the to the numbers not adding up, but just advertising on the internet.
0: What's so like feeding quarters into the customer machine, and not enough customers coming out the bottom? Yeah, people are having yeah. a hard time reaching consumers yeah. now. It's also hard. Welcome to the world of hard. <laughs> I'm
2: not saying it should be easy.
0: Well, well you kind of are. And a lot of like the performance marketing gurus out there will tell you that, oh, you can just feed quarters into this customer machine, and then the customers spit out the bottom.
2: Irrespective of where you spend your eyes on, even if it's performance or any type of advertising, isn't the zeitgeist right now that if the people selling advertising are not making money, that means there should be plenty of really affordable advertising to do everywhere. But yet what I'm hearing from people that are trying to market themselves, whether it's through performance advertising or other types of advertising, is like, Stuff doesn't really work. They're not getting a benefit. So it, I don't think it, they it know doesn't that. feel like the machine's working. No, 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 no. You need to talk to more people and This is why I'm people. talking to you guys. You tell me.
1: It's definitely working for people. It's working for people that I work. Is
0: it a buyer's market now for advertising?
2: Yeah.
1: Well Do you see yeah. all
0: those Temu ads? Temu? Come on. The homepage, the top unit on the New York Times app, which okay, the marquee news brand in the world, okay, this is their most Treasured surface, I would guess. The people who open up the app and are there. I'm getting like a programmatic ad for big-ass fans.
1: Those are good fans. <laughs> That's because you've been looking Not for Not a fans. generic.
0: The, the, the brand is called Big-Ass Fans.
1: Yeah, have they, you they been in the market big-ass for fans? Are you in the market?
0: I don't know yet. I'm just deciding.
1: <laughs> okay, so the thing is, is that looking at advertising from that perspective is an old way of looking at it. The advertising isn't contextually aligned with, obviously, with the New York Times. It's contextually aligned with you which is how it should be but that's and the you're problem. getting a big you know, ass fan be. because you're a it big ass be. fan cus- customer potentially
0: be. yahoo used to auction off their home page that's the way god intended oh, it oh yeah but we know we know that that's over that's all over i know but i want you it know back.
1: the people aren't selling fancy display ads with a direct sales force that are getting premiums so it's just being filled up by the machines and the machines are targeting you
0: Can't see, might as well do an event at that point.
1: Well, no, you may as well take the money from Programmatic and then do an event, yeah. I'm definitely involved with businesses that rely on good storytelling and performance marketing to good effect, Alex. Principally on meta properties, Instagram and Facebook. Instagram's shopping connection that's now native to the platform is, for many, remarkable. Moving tons of product, tons and tons. Retail media, people that advertise on Amazon that have products listed on Amazon have great success with that medium. So you know what? You have to get good at it, Alex. You really have to spend time. And increasingly what performance marketing demands is not clever media buying because their algorithms do that. It demands that you really hone your message. It's a creative challenge, not a media challenge.
0: Well, because you can't target as finely so you need to use the messaging in order to like target in some ways right
1: well not only that sure. but like google for example will optimize your placements across multiple creative types and channels just for you you don't have to balance like your video spend with your search spend with your display spend it'll do it for you
0: yeah although they also got dinged recently for their black box but hey people like black boxes At the end of the day marketers advertisers they they vote with their dollars and they don't seem to care about the black boxes and their ads showing but up on let's big picture this
1: let's big picture this and then move on but big picture i gotta believe one thing that i think alex is poking at which is are we facing a structural decline in advertising where there's fewer dollars chasing more outlets and it's just gonna be that way i think there's probably something to that it's probably true But at the same time, I think that in two years, we'll look back and say this was a bad time. The demand was off and that when there are more dollars in more budgets chasing customers, we're going to see better times for media companies. And we will get to a new ad offering that, interestingly, is still probably much of it sold direct with people, with salespeople like you, Brian. It'll just look different than it did before and it'll be more... Yeah, I think activations of some type will be a bigger part of the mix. Listen, we can only go to so many live events, dude.
0: By the way, everyone get in touch with me if you want to sponsor the PVA Summit. When should we do that, guys?
1: The PVA Summit? That sounds amazing! (laughs) I'm
0: pretty busy this weekend. It's it's great. (laughs) It'll be wonderful. Don't worry about
2: it. <laughs>
1: this is a low-energy product, Alex. What's wrong with you? You okay?
2: You need a coffee? It was the Elon stuff. I was trying to have a, a conversation around Twitter, and then was like, every time like I get dragged into that Elon shit. I think you were trying to muscle into media talk. Me muscle into media talk. So here's here's what I don't. Oh, is I don't know where to start advertising a small business and everybody tells me to be creative. But when I go to the internet and figure try to figure that out, Alex, let's get on the phone. It feels like the products suck and I don't understand what to do. I'll help you. So I'd like help with that. Yeah, I can help you with that. And uh, I need to find a place where I can see this the seventy your- millimeter IMAX version of Oppenheimer and I'm just like
1: Very hard to see. Yeah. Lincoln Center in New York City. But I'm yeah, hearing your away. call for help and I'm responding.
2: I'm here. For I, I also think just like as a topic, it would be interesting because I know there's like the media side of things, mm-hmm. but it's also like. As consumers of advertising as in we're buying advertising, what do you do today? It all feels very obtuse, obscure, and confusing. The stories coming out are that it's inefficient. And even stuff that used to be reliable for like small businesses like advertising on niche podcasts is no longer like a reliable way of putting your message out. Now I know I'm not You're I'm not generalizing saying are message, getting it right. My friend. Mm. Yeah, but that's what we do here.
0: Yeah, it's a podcast.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> of course just I'm another generalizing. Reminder. <laughs> All right, I'm skip view from Premium Economy. It's fine. No, I'll just say like, very quickly. We have to do it. I try to take the air train because like I do try to style myself a man of the people and I wanna be brand consistent. And it was rush hour and like a cab was gonna be ninety dollars. I would have been fine with taking the air train to the subway and, and doing the thirty-two stops on the A train, but I had a switch on the air train to another air train. So I had to take it to Federal Center and switch to a different air train. And I'm just trying to imagine Europeans like <laughs> arrived in this wonderful country. And the whole JFK experience is bad enough as it is. And then they expect to take a train into the marquee city, supposedly marquee global city of New York City. And they realize that they have to take a train and switch on the train in order to get to the A train to take it 32 stops. And that's just lower Manhattan. So don't recommend the air train. It took an hour and 45 minutes door to door. Not
1: good. Isn't that part of the whole New that York experience that it's painful, but worth it? Painful, <laughs> but worth it. It's part wish. of the brand. Yeah. Okay. It's terrible. Okay, good one, Brian. Good view from premium economy. <laughs> Let's talk about whether we continue with that segment.
0: I'm traveling. I'm going to, I'm going to the Balkans next week. I'm going to have lots of material. I like okay. that segment. I
2: need to know if we continue with that segment to know if I am actually going to make a jingle for yeah. it. A little.
0: It's made. You know? It's made for a tasteful sponsorship too. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Delta
2: calm. Very good.
0: Okay, great. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> no
2: problem. <laughs> Should do you we have a good, a good product,
0: product? Troy? Yeah, that's two good products. Right.
1: I had lunch in Sag Harbor with my friend Jason Wagenheim. Mm-hmm. You know, Jason. Brian.
0: Yeah, bustle.
1: Okay, he likes the podcast, and he brought me a product that he was hoping I could feature as a good product. And he said, too, that he was supportive of the fig. So I like that. For previous listeners, Fig was one of my good products one week that Brian didn't like.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think the concept of a product is somewhat fungible in this segment.
1: Yeah, okay. So anyway, Jason, it turns out, has a side hustle as a barbecue sauce impresario, and Mm -hmm. he's got a company called East End Cowboy Small Batch Barbecue Sauce. That's not the company. That's the name of the product. It's a honey peach, and he also has a hotter one, which he gave me a jar of. And I just I ate it on crackers, which was delicious. It's a good product. But that's not what I'm here to talk about.
2: Is it sugar-free? That sounds like advertising. Are we getting a cut out of this?
1: It
0: should be sugar-free.
1: I don't know if it's sugar-free. So I wanted just to mention the paper of record, The New York Times, every Friday, I guess it's on Friday, I get an email from The New York Times for the weekend news quiz, I think it's a very good product. It's 10, no, it's, is it 11 or 12 questions? The first question is in the email. When you click on it, not a small thing, but kind of a small thing, it actually takes the click and enters it properly on the first question. Every week you can see if you've actually followed the news because you get a sense of whether you get 10 or 11 or 12 right. And it ranks you according to how you've done previously. And Mm. of course you're authenticated because it has your email address so it knows how you've done previously and ranks your performance. And I look forward to it every week. I think it's a good application of interactivity and media. And it's the New York Times weekend news quiz that's the good Mm. product of the
2: week. You know, I feel like the New York Times is turning itself into a game company masquerading as a news company. Like all these acquisitions of Wordles and stuff like that. So much of the stickiness of the New York Times is gaming, and it's turning itself into an entertainment company. And I think it's really mm-hmm. clever. I wouldn't be surprised if they could dug deeper into more video gamey stuff. But they're essentially a video game publisher. Well, they the have stage.
0: to expand their TAM, I guess, as you would say in Silicon Valley. I remember having Meredith. Yeah, and I also think people will spend money on, on games. My previous podcast, and I was like, "Are there that many people who are going to subscribe to this sort of take of news?" Let's face it, like 40% of the country will not consider the New York Times ever. I just will not ever.
2: It's the ultimate bundler, right? You can subscribe to it for Wordle. This is kind kind of to tie it
0: back to the the view from premium economy. And in my Andy Rooney, I want to have an Andy Rooney segment. But have you noticed the New York Times war on summer? They hate summer. (laughs) And I just I've never met, what is the market for hating summer? So this is what they just published. This is the, the article. Is it safe to go outside? How to navigate this cruel summer? Okay, that's that's one thing. But now over the years I've been I've been cataloging this. In 2011 it said summer travel is back, earth can't handle it. Last year, hold on to your hats and bags, travelers to Europe face chaos. And then they had the summer has been a travel nightmare. Technology isn't helping. Strikes, delays, lost luggage, how to survive air travel. And then finally they just asked, they ran out of ideas, so they asked readers, tell us your summer travel horror story.
2: What did I have against summer Because they're turning themselves into a video game company and they want you to stay indoors and play their games. Yeah, okay, that's It's all part of (laughs) the strategy.
0: Yeah, I think they're trying to get everyone scared to go outside. I wish Elon
2: would buy New York Times.
0: That would be fun. All right, let's leave it there. This is a long one. Three topics, that's it. Three topics, tops. That's why I don't like preparation, because once you do the preparation, you have to use
1: No, it. no, no. When we do hard porno media talk, Alex has to figure out <laughs> like how to programmatic. get programmatic? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, shit like that. Ad sales, that's not Alex's beat. Demand. Okay? And by the way, Wagenheim liked Alex. He said, hey, it's good. really great that you guys strategically put in someone that hates advertising. I really need to hear that. <laughs> Strategic.